0: This is the John Newsome Leadership Podcast. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I've just returned back from a a sabbatical. We've had an amazing time in the presence of God. I have two things I want to talk to you about today. Number one, the importance, and this will be quick, of taking time to rest. And number two, some of the prophetic things I believe God showed me that are coming to pass on the earth as well as are coming to pass to the church, for the church, and through the church. So let me before I get into the parts where I believe God genuinely has spoken to me about some things, let me just take a moment and talk to you about the necessity of taking some time and a away to rest as a leader. Now, I was gone for a one-month vacation and a two-month sabbatical. That's a really long time, and most people are not in a position to be able to do that. Gratefully, because of the church I pastor and the staff I have, I was truly able, at this season of my life, knowing that 60 is a transitioning time to take time with God. And you know, it's interesting that Jesus never looked at time as a negative, time away from ministry, time preparing for ministry as a negative. He never saw those things ever as something that was detracting from his calling. In fact, before the public ministry of Jesus started at age 30, think about it, he spent 10 years of human life for every one year of ministry that he would live and that he would serve on the earth. You know, Jesus was every bit the son of God at 22 as he was at 30, but time invested properly. Listen, please, this is so important. I don't know how to to emphasize this. I wish I could go back 30 years and, and know what I'm about to tell you. Time invested is never a waste, no matter how broad, no matter how big the call is, no matter how important the call is. But after Jesus entered public ministry, we also see a pattern of him setting himself aside to pray, setting apart himself and and those who traveled with him and served with him and taking intentional, intentional times of rest. He did it after doing significant ministry when he fed the 5,000. In Matthew 14, the scripture said he went by himself to pray. After this, this wonderful experience, he left that experience and went to a solitary place to pray. Before Jesus made some of the most important decisions he would make, ever make, he went alone in prayer with God. In Luke 6, it said he spent the whole night alone in prayer before he chose his team. Sometimes we end up making decisions because they need to be made. Jesus didn't do that. He stepped back. Remember, time invested in rest, time invested in prayer, time invested in intimacy with God is only a positive. You know, after trauma, Jesus took time to rest. After John the Baptist was martyred in Mark 6, the scripture told us, Jesus told his disciples, come with me, by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And then they went away by themselves to a solitary place. If there's anything that we all experience in life, whether in ministry or just our personal lives, is trauma. Jesus didn't ignore it. He didn't say, well, this didn't happen. Once John the Baptist was murdered and martyred in a horrific way, this is the only person who truly was connected to him in ministry. The only person that the Holy Spirit had been upon in the life of Jesus. And he's been murdered in such a ridiculous fashion. And Jesus didn't ignore it. He went and said to his team, come with me. And if there's anything I think you'll hear God say to you today, that I will hear more clearly than at any time ever in my life and hopefully for the rest of my life is to hear God say to me, John, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and John, get you some rest. And then John, go to a solitary place and let me refresh you. Even after conflict, Jesus did it. When the Pharisees were confronting him in in, in Mark 7, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered into a house and didn't want anyone to know it. Yet he couldn't keep his presence a secret. You know, we all face conflict. And the hardest time for you to get alone with God will be after conflict. In your life, in your ministry, in your work, even personally. Because if the people don't follow you, the thoughts and the emotions do. It's important when you've been traumatized. It's important after ministry. It's important before decisions. It's important coming into or out of or existing within a a certain conflict that we spend time alone with God. And then lastly, before obedience, Jesus took time. We know in the Garden of Gethsemane, he went alone to pray. But then the scripture said in, in Luke 22, he also asked his team to pray with him. So Jesus didn't do this alone he invited his team to come and to pray with him. But we know they couldn't continue in prayer. In verse 45 of Luke 22, it said, when Jesus rose from his place of prayer in the garden, he went back to his disciples. He found them asleep. Now listen to this sentence. Exhausted from sorrow. Please hear this. Please, please hear this. Being exhausted from sorrow is the most difficult thing to recover from in life and ministry. It wounds so deeply in the soul. And Jesus literally is giving us a remedy for when we're in ministry, after ministry, after before decisions, after trauma, which is usually after decisions, after conflict, which is after decisions and before obedience. Or we can fall ourselves into a place to where we become exhausted exhausted from conflict, trauma, decisions, ministry, even exhausted from trying to obey. And then the harshness of life can wound your soul so deeply. Now, let me move in the remaining part we have, our remaining 13, 14 minutes or so. The Holy Spirit spoke some things so clearly to me, prophetically. Actually, it began prior to me leaving, and it became much more clear to me. You see, in the last 15 years or so in the church, and even longer, there has been what we could call the attractional model of church, <clears throat> where the weekend service was structured as to appeal to a lost person so that everything said could could facilitate them hearing the gospel. And, 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 and that was a, a wonderful, wonderful move of God for many, many years. And churches that were desperate for what they would call a move of the Holy Spirit often would reject it. And I think many of those churches found out they did so to their own destruction, their own minimalization, because God was about lost people, and he still is. But what he spoke to my heart, and let me say it as he said it, my hand upon the attractional model of church is waning. Let me say that again. My hand upon the attractional church model is waning. That doesn't mean you disregard or throw away all the things you learned and the wisdom around it. But it was it was something God was in. And in the last 15 to 20 years, we've seen local churches so expand in growth as a result. But here's, here's something I want you to hear out of Acts 9, verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and it grew in numbers living in the fear of the Lord. During the attractional model that God has brought to this nation, our nation, I would tell you largely it's been during a time of peace. It doesn't mean we've been without war as a nation, but I'm talking about the nation itself was at peace within itself compared to what we're dealing with today. In late May, God began to speak to me about what was coming to our nation this fall what I began to say, even to some of our intimate team members, is I believe this nation is going to be set on fire by the fall. And and, and since then, it has become, actually, it's coming to pass. And, and, the, and the truth of it is, I believe that God's put it in my heart that it's only going to get worse. Now, again, let me stop and say, the attractional model, don't throw away the wisdom that was learned through this emphasis of God's spirit. So what's next? What is next on the horizon for God to bring as an emphasis to the church? And that's what I want to spend our remaining time talking to you about, because we are no longer in a time of peace. And what the Holy Spirit began to show me, actually, it it started even before uh, 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 that had anything to do with the church. It had to do with the response to the pandemic. And I could see how Things were starting to happen that were going to be very divisive. And now we're in a season to where anarchy is in our nation. Anarchy has been fostered by even governmental authority. And and it's so dangerous. And now what is God wanting to do in this time? And, And what he spoke to my heart is that he's going to bring about this fall in the midst of this terrible season in our nation's history. Whether Donald Trump is elected or not, it's going to be very, very difficult in this nation. And and without being political, I would say this. If President Trump is reelected, I believe without, I really do believe this with all my heart, this nation will be lit on fire. The people that will oppose that are so angry and have been fostered to exercise that anger in a sense, actually with the force of anarchy. And this nation, I believe, will be in, in such trauma for at least six months. If Donald Trump is not elected, part of the agenda of the Democrat Party, and this is not an endorsement or a lack of one, is to undermine and absolutely disregard and even criminalize the beliefs that a Christian has. That we will we will be fine if we can serve God and talk about what we believe in a church wall. But it is clear, it's not It's not hidden, it's wide open. What you believe as a believer about marriage, what you believe about sexuality, isn't going to be an issue of your religious rights, your ability to serve your God. You can do that, but you are going to be marginalized and, God forbid, even criminalized. Now, I don't know what that looks like, but here's what I do know that there will be coming a level of persecution to Christians in this nation, no matter who's elected, that will rival what we see in other nations. That's not against any person. That's not any political party. That's because we are in the days when the gospel is trying to be stifled by the enemy, not by people. People are never the enemy. And I believe God has shown me that this fall, there's going to be a revival of the gifts and the operations and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And it's going to run parallel with this trauma. And these gifts and operations are going to emerge right in harmony with this time of distress. That doesn't mean we won't still do church in such a way as to be wise. But let me talk to you a little bit about the move of the Holy Spirit. This emergence is going to occur in harmony with our nation's extreme time of distress. 1 Corinthians 12 talks to us about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And now there are three categories of the gifts of the Spirit. You have utterance gifts, the gifts that say something, which are diverse kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Then you have revelation gifts, the gifts that reveal something, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and discerning of spirits. And then you have the power gifts, the gifts that do something. The gift of special faith, the gift of the working of miracles, and the gift of the gifts of healings. I believe with all my heart the Holy Spirit has showed me, and as since I've talked to many, many people of reputation, and it seems that everyone is hearing the same thing, that God is going to reemerge in the gifts of the Spirit as a sovereign move of God. They've always been in operation, but it will be a move of God that will, in my view, in what I'm hearing in my soul that will be close to what we experienced in the charismatic renewal many, many years ago, where God is going to sovereignly move, but not so much in the utterance gifts, but in the revelation gifts and the power gifts, but the greatest emphasis being on the power gifts. Now here's the key. First Corinthians 12, four says this. Now there are diversities, distinctions, and differences of gifts, but it's the same Holy Spirit. So I've said, look, there are nine gifts of the Spirit listed, three categories of them. The emphasis, I believe, that God is going to put will be on the power gifts, what's about to emerge. But here's the thing that I think is so important, whether this is something that's in your past or in your present, or maybe you're a little blind to this. You think, I don't even understand the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Please listen. When God moves sovereignly in the charismatic renewal, There was something he did within the Catholic Church called the Catholic Charismatic Renewal. It's where my mother came to know Christ. And in those seasons, a group of ladies were meeting in basements, and priests were meeting with people in in a room here and a room there. And literally multiplied millions of Catholics were born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you something amazing? They would perhaps be praying the rosary, praying to Mary, which is certainly not in the Bible. But right after they were done, God would fall upon them and people would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, from my biblical understanding, I would tell you, that's no way. But here's what I've learned about God. His love for people is so amazing and so overwhelming that he wants to move and show himself alive. In fact, in Corinthians, Paul said to the church at Corinth, he said, listen, the way you're moving in these things make you a display, make people think you're crazy. And Paul said, but what they're really meant to be is so that people can look and say, God is there. God has showed up. And that's what the gifts of the Spirit are meant to do. In verse five, it says this, there are differences, distinctions, and diversities of administrations, but it's the same Lord. Now, what is that actually saying? The way and the manner in which the gifts of the Holy Spirit are administered are going to be different in this season than any time in my life. I'm certain if we go to the early church to present day, when these gifts of the Spirit would come into manifestation, the manner in which they were displayed would have been very, very different. If you just go back a few years with me, well, maybe maybe 30 years, you would have things like this. People would get up and say, yea, the Lord would say, and thus saith the Lord, and speak in Elizabethan English. And to the context of the people they were speaking to, it, it made sense. And then you had different expressions. Some, let's just say biblical. Some may be extra biblical, but it was people administering the gifts of the Holy Spirit in a diverse and distinct way. And what the Holy Spirit is speaking to my heart about Do not assume that it's going to be the same for you in this next generation of leaders. In fact, at 60 years old, I believe I'm just going to be on the front end of this. And how God administers this, which I hear in my heart that it will be relational and it won't be from a pulpit singularly, that it will spread throughout the people of God and it will have a relational impact because in the world in which we're about to step into, Language and words will not be enough, and here's why. Romans chapter 1 speaks to what happens when a mind moves into a reprobate state. Much of the thinking in our culture today would fit into the mindset of Romans chapter 1. Hear this, this is very important. Whether you understand the gifts of the Spirit or not, you cannot reason with a reprobate mind. Words will not matter. The only thing that will move a culture trapped in this type of darkness is the actual power of God. And I believe that God is moving in such a way as to create a relational environment where the gifts and operations and manifestations of the Holy Spirit can be administered in a way that isn't odd and weird, but it's relational. And the reason I don't know that I'll ever have full clarity is because I don't know that I'll be a part of the fullness of this movement, not as a leader anyway, maybe as a former leader, supporting leaders. And so this next generation of men and women, those of you that are teen, those teenagers today, those in their 20s and 30s, even 40s, those of you, God is going to give you an administration of this that will be unique to this culture, unique to where you are. And it will be inspired of the Holy Spirit, but it will be the same Holy Spirit. In verse 6, he says this, There are diversities, distinctions, and differences of operations, but it's the same God that works all in all. The operations or the manner in which they work will be distinct and different, more so than what we've ever experienced. And here's what the Holy Spirit's speaking to my heart. As a warning, what I'm about to do, he, he spoke to my heart, is sovereign. This isn't a matter of you praying a six-week fasting and prayer to be able to, to, for God to do this. He is going to do this sovereignly because he loves people. And this move of the Holy Spirit is no different than the attractional model in that its purpose is to seek and save the lost. For the Christian that is wanting a move of the Holy Spirit for just their own benefit, they'll miss this entirely. They'll miss it by a thousand miles because this isn't about the Christian having an opportunity to just simply experience these gifts. It's about every Christian being an instrument and being used of God in whatever way God is is causing you to be endowed, in whatever way he's enabling you to administer these gifts for the benefit of others. If we don't make that distinction, we're going to make some assumptions. We're going to make some assumptions about the way and the manner in which these gifts are going to operate. Assumption is a lethal thing. The Bible said that the Egyptians had an assumption that they could follow the children of Israel into the Red Sea. That was a pretty bad assumption. The same power that held it up for the people of God did not hold the water back for their enemy. The manifestations of the Holy Spirit are given in such a way as they have to be administered. Think next generation. Think that if you're an older person in your mid to late 50s, 60s, 70s, and you're in ministry. Think next generation that we have to hear from God to follow their lead in regards to the issue of the operation of the Holy Spirit or the manner in which they work. I I believe God's going to use people of my generation and age to open this door. But he's going to give them the specifics. And we can't fight it. And we can't say it has to be this way. No, there are differences of administrations. But the same Holy Spirit. It's the outcome that God's looking for. That when he moves, that this would be a presence of God-driven environment. That people will simply say, God is here. In our last two minutes, verse 7 says this, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to profit everybody. All the manifestations or the the expression or or bestowments of the Holy Spirit are profitable for everybody. They're not just for Christians. In fact, Christians are supposed to be the instruments for these gifts to bless the world. The profit is for everyone, not the benefit of the one being used. This morning, I prayed with my staff. First day, really, back in the office where I did meetings. And I took my lunch hour and said, I'm going to pray. And any, uh, like everyone who would like to just join me, will fast my lunch meal and pray with you. And I began to share some of these things with them. And we were going to start praying. And the very thing I'm talking to you about happened. No music, nothing unprompted, right before we went to pray, the presence of God fell so strongly in the room I could barely speak. And we had things happen that had no preparation for Wasn't looking for it, wasn't praying for it, and I wasn't asking for it, but it is sovereign. And my prayer for you as a leader is that you'll prepare your heart, that you'll yield to the heart of God so that he can use you to be a blessing And that I hope these these thoughts can find a residence in your heart because this world is on fire and it's only going to get hotter and brighter. But in the midst of that darkness, let God be true and every man a liar. And while the earth is in pain, we are going to see the greatest outpouring, I believe in my lifetime, of God's spirit on this earth. And it's gonna be remarkable. So I long for the glory of God while I grieve for my nation. But let's keep our eye, let's keep our heart focused on Jesus and let Him do a work in you and through you in these months and even years to come. God bless you, and I'll catch up with you next month on another aspect of this. Thanks again for tuning in to the John Nuzo Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, We'd love for you to rate, review, and share this podcast on iTunes. It's a great way to get the word out and to help others grow as leaders. We'll see you back here next time for another episode of the John Nuzo Leadership Podcast.